Some of you have heard my diatribe on K-Love. Um, I used it 15 months ago as an introduction to a sermon, and I don't like to reuse introductions, but <laughs> I couldn't help it. Um, I couldn't help it. It's just too spot on. Um, I don't want to be too hard on K-Love. I, I love the music. I, I really do. I used to listen to them all the time when I would come home from Italy, and I would, I would plug into K-Love. Love the music. Uh, I sometimes am troubled by the marketed side of Christianity. It, seems, it feels a little bit marketed to me. I don't know if they still do this. I don't listen to the radio anymore, so I don't know if, they're still, if their message is still positive, encouraging. I don't know if that's still it. Um, and I want to say at the outset, I'm not against positive and encouraging. I'm all for positive and encouraging. But I think to talk about this helps to make a larger and broader point. Although all the call-ins that they play give a testimony about how pos positive and encouraging Caleb's emphasis has been and how it has helped them, I, I notice that all the testimonies are about temporal things. Every one of them. Now, if I'm wrong, come correct me, and I'll never use this introduction again. But they're all about temporal things. And I'm thinking, as a born-again believer, I'm listening to this, and I'm thinking, there are some things that are way bigger than this. Like Jude 24 and Jude 25. They don't play the, I don't know if they get these calls, but they don't play these calls. It's just positive, encouraging. I, one caller called in and someone in the family had been cured of cancer. Praise God. He is the great physician. He is the master healer. But, you know, it's also true that if we read our Bibles and observe God in, in providence and, and in the church, he doesn't always heal the cancer, does he? One person called in and said, since they had gotten right with God, this couple... They'd had a dramatic uptick in their finances. Well, praise the Lord. He blesses his people. He does this. But if we read our Bibles and observe God's providence in the lives of his people, we realize that many, many Christians are very, very poor. I don't ever hear that call. Yet another caller related that in light of uh, listening to Caleb and being encouraged that there was a reconciliation in, in the marriage. And praise God, he heals dead marriages. He does. He resurrects a dead marriages. I, I've, I've seen this. I've seen him do this. But if we read our Bibles and we look around just a little bit, sometimes we understand that the unbelieving spouse leaves the believer. This happens. I've seen this as well. My concern with these testimonies is that they are chosen simply to be positive and, and encouraging in a temporal sense. I, I've thought to myself often, listening to these guys, that if all I knew about Christianity was what I was hearing on Caleb, I would think God was a genie in a bottle kind of God, a lucky charm kind of God. And if I seek him, he'll fix everything just the way I want it. It's as if God is sitting on his throne just waiting for me to ask for something that he can give me. And yes, this is the paramount concern of God. 
that all my temporal needs are met. Again, this is not said, but it's the implication that God is just waiting, just waiting for you to pray that prayer. Reminds me of the prayer of Jabez, but I won't go into it. I'd like to hear that call where someone says, I think I'm going to die of cancer, but I love my God and I trust my God so much. You know what? If that's his will for me, I'm good with it. I want to hear that call. I want to hear that call. That's a Christian. That's a real Christian. Not just the health, wealth, and prosperity kind. I'd like to hear someone call in and say, I'm desperately poor by the world's standards, and I don't think it's ever going to change, but I'm infinitely rich in my God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? I want to hear that call. I really, really do. I want to hear it. Or maybe something like, God invaded my life, and it has been radically changed, and my unbelieving husband left me. I want to hear that call. And I want to hear that call where they say, I am the bride of Christ. He's enough for me, right? It's been hard. It's been difficult. It hurts. But Christ is my satisfaction and contentment. You know, here's the deal. And you guys know this. Or you probably wouldn't be sitting in this church. Real-life Christianity is so much more beautiful and powerful than the marketed kind of Christianity that we, we hear on the radio and in the movies and in, sadly, so many television programs where preachers are preaching nonsense. Certainly God blesses in a temporal sense, and I'm all for it. I'm all for the next blessing. I'm all for it. But it pales in comparison to what we really have. What we really have, Jude 24, we have Jude 24. Because he's the God of Jude 25. <laughs> Amen? Amen. You know, I'd like to hear that call. I was a vile, uh, pardon me, vile, God-hating enemy of Christ, but now I love him. He is unspeakably beautiful to me. And he has changed my life. I was lost. I was headed to hell. But I won't go there now. I'm a co-heir with Christ. I was dead in my sins, but now I'm alive forever. I want to hear that call. I've never heard that call. Maybe some of you have. I'd like to hear someone call in and, and say, my temporal circumstances could not possibly get any worse. But I am, sorrow, I am sorrowful, but I am rejoicing in all that Christ is to me. And that it's real every day I wake up. His relationship is real. It's real. It's always real. I would love to hear someone call in and say, I don't think it could get any worse. But I was reading my Bible today and I read Jude 24. And I'll be blameless before a holy God. Because I'm in Christ, not only blameless, I'm blameless with great joy before God. I'm not like the rebel. I'm not asking for the mountains to crush me and fall and hide me from the wrath of the Lamb. I'm not like that. I'm a co-heir. I'm a co-heir. 
Jude 24 is me. I want to hear that call. <laughs> I'd love to hear that call. You heard Joe read the text. We'll read it again. Just because we ought to. Now to him. I was listening to MacArthur yesterday. I went running. I was listening to MacArthur. He went off on this able. Now to him who is what? Now to him who is what? Able. He can do it. He will do it. <laughs> you don't have to worry about it. It's a done deal. He's able. He went off on that. He talked like just, I don't know, like 20 minutes on able. And I had completely missed it in my notes. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Yeah, I want to hear the call. Everything that could possibly go wrong has gone wrong. But Jesus has saved me. And Jude 24 applies to me. And you know what? All this temporal stuff, it's, it's fading away. Uh, I, I, I'm a vapor. I'm a breeze. I'm grass. I'm out of here soon. And Jesus Christ has taken care of my eternity. It's done. He's able. He's able. He is able. And I will, you know, this as part of the call, I, I, I will ultimately stand blameless before this terrifyingly magnificent, holy God who I have offended. But I won't get my just desserts because of the work of Christ. Now, to me, to me, that's positive encouraging. Am I wrong? That's positive encouraging. That's really positive. That's positive encouraging forever, right? I want to hear that Jude 24 and 25 call. This morning is our last sermon from this powerful little book of Jude. And uh, he closes it in a breathtaking way. Just a couple of things I want to remind you of that we've seen. You know, one of the, one of the great things about preaching verse by verse through a book is you just hit all, these, you hit all different kinds of things. Um, and you deal with it if you're preaching verse by verse. You have to deal with it, which is always a blessing to deal with everything God has to say. But verse 1, you may remember, I went off on that. God's people are what? The called, the loved, and the kept. Now that's positive and encouraging. I, I, I'd like to hear somebody call in and say, hey, Jude 1 is true. The problem is probably 80% of the people listening to Caleb, they have no idea what that means. They don't, they don't know anything about Jude 1. They re very rarely, if ever, open their Bibles. In verse 3, what has God called us to do? Maybe the key verse in the book to what? What are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? Contend earnestly for the faith. Again, we made the point. It's not just simply showing up for church when it's convenient. 
We're way past that, right? We're way past that. We contend. We contend for the faith. We defend the faith. We proclaim the faith. That's who we are as Christians. Verses 5 through 7, God judges all those who reject his word. He, reject, he, 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 he judged the uh, Exodus Jews, he judged the fallen angels, and he judged the Gentiles of Sodom and Gomorrah. He's an equal opportunity judge. If you are outside of Christ, you will be judged. And yes, we saw it in verse 7. Those who rebel against God will undergo the punishment of eternal fire. I'm guessing you're not going to hear that on Caleb. Never going to hear that. In verses 8 through 13, God talks about the pseudo-clergy. You remember he talks about the crept-in guys? They've crept in, these apostate pastors and priests and ministers and popes and patriarchs and Bible school teachers and seminary professors and TV evangelists and faith healers, etc., etc., etc. You remember what he said? He said they're dreamers. They're twisting God's words. They rail at demons. They make up their own theology. They're greedy men who are taking millions to hell. And then last week we saw in verses 14 through 23, God tells us how to navigate this avalanche of false teachers that is so prevalent in our day. You remember what he said? Don't be naive. It's the, it's, those, those aren't his exact words. But we're supposed to know. We're supposed to know this is going to happen. Almost every New Testament letter references apostasy in some way. We're not supposed to be naive about it. Just because a guy says he's a pastor, I'm not going to believe anything he says unless he can show it to me in the Bible. I don't care how fancy his robe is. I don't care how cool his hat is. If it's not coming from the 66 books, I'm not going to pay any attention to it. So these, these, these guys that have crept in, right, we're not to be naive. We understand that God told us this would happen. happen. So this Jude book that we've been looking at the last five weeks, it's hugely important because it is an epidemic in the modern church, apostasy and heresy. And we talked about it. I don't know what the numbers are. Eight and ten are preaching some form of a false gospel. Again, Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, Protestantism, some, you know, various forms of Protestantism. Probably eight and ten. If you want to hear what God says, you, you got to look. <laughs> and sometimes you got to drive. <laughs> He's not very popular. God in His Word is not very popular in this era. So, God reminds a true believer that our ultimate hope in navigating the onslaught of apostasy is that God is God. This is how Jude ends the book. God is God. So, I'm going to ask you right here. I'll just stop and ask you. What is your ultimate hope that you will indeed stand before God justified? And again, I've dealt with so many different denominations in Italy from all over the world, and you would be shocked at the superficiality of some answers. Some folks who claim to be Christians since they were in their infancy, or shall we say young, young child, they cannot respond biblically. They cannot respond biblically. They don't know how to talk about it. 
So I'll ask you, are you trusting in the sincerity of your profession of faith? Is that what you trust in? Do you trust in how earnest your prayer was to receive Christ? The prayer that, of course, does not appear in Scripture anywhere. Are you trusting in your baptism? Are you trusting in your church attendance and membership? Are you trusting in your good works? Are you trusting in the fact that, by comparison, you're a pretty good person? None of that, right? Nobody sitting in this church will ever trust in any of that. We trust Jude 24, the one who is able. He's able to deliver us blameless before an outraged God. Because of my sin and my arrogance before him. God is the Savior. Our ultimate hope is that we are the called, we are the beloved, and we are the kept, Jude 1. Therefore, verse 24, we will not stumble. Amen? We're not perfect, but we're not going to stumble to such a degree that we're lost and cast off into eternal condemnation. Right? We will not stumble. We will stand blameless in the presence of God. What? With great joy. I love that. With great joy. Can you imagine the joy of standing before a holy God that you have greatly offended, but you're justified by the shed blood of Christ? Can you imagine the joy? Can you imagine the joy as you see millions cast into hell, but you will not be cast into hell? Can you imagine the joy because God has saved you? God did Jude 24 in your life. He did it. And he's able to hold you forever, right? He's able. He's able to do that. Sadly, some of you know, some of you probably have come out of denominations that teach that you can lose your salvation. This is way past nonsense. It's just backhanded blasphemy. It grossly overstates the decisiveness of man and grossly understates the sovereignty of God in conversion. This kind of, this kind of uh, theology, misinterpretation of the Bible, it as always, it's elevating the man and diminishing God. And we've been talking about it in this series. God is free. God is free. You know, this is what men hate. They hate that God's free. He's so free that Jude 24 is, Jude, Jude 1 and Jude 24 are exactly how he does business. He's free. And the only way you and I get free, the only way you and I stop being slaves to sin is that we, 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 we run to the cross and we prostrate ourselves before Jesus Christ and the finished work of his shed blood. It's the only way. It is the only Way. We know the Bible interprets the Bible. And for someone to say that you can possibly lose your salvation is to turn so many texts on their head. This is not what God says. You cannot, if you've got it, you cannot lose it. The question always is, do you got it? That's the question. And Karen said it to me this week. 
She says, I like the way you say it, Jim. You know, every once in a while, I'll get a compliment out of, her, out of her. It'll be in your life. If you got it, it'll be in your life. It'll be in your speech. It'll be in your internet surfing. It'll be how you love your spouse and your children and how you do your job and how you treat your neighbor. It'll be there. It'll be there. If you got it, it will be there. We know we've talked about guys that walk out and walk away, even pastors who leave Christianity. It's not about losing salvation. It's about never having had it. God says, my people will never stumble. They will be blameless because my son finished his work. It's one of the unique aspects of Christianity among all the other so-called religions in the world. Every other world religion is to one degree or another ultimately a work system. You really have to save yourself through your doings, as Charles Spurgeon says. You have to keep the rules. You have to keep the path. You have to keep the steps. You have to, you have to keep the way. If you do X, God will do Y. But what I love about Christianity is, is that God has done X so you can do Y. And Jude 24 is yours. You own it. It's yours. Blameless before holiness with great joy. <laughs> Man, I want to hear that call. I may call them. Are they still doing business? Are they still doing? I'm calling in. I'm calling in this week, God willing. I'm positive if I can remember. I'm almost sure. And maybe I'm being too hard on them. Maybe they'll play it. Maybe they will. God is sovereign in the salvation of his people. Of course, the gospel commands every it commands man every word to repent and believe. Of course, you must respond to the gospel. Of course, you must exercise the gift of repentance and faith. Of course, you must do this. But our assurance is, is that God has done this. God did this. We have responded to Christ even as Lazarus responded in John 11. Do you remember the story? He was laying in the tomb. And Jesus called him out. This is a perfect analogy of what the Bible says conversion looks like. I love how Jesus, or pardon me, how the Holy Spirit talks about this in 1 Corinthians 1. You don't need to turn there. Just let me read a short excerpt. Consider your calling, brethren. There are not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble. God has chosen the weak, the base, and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may what? Boast. Hey, if you did it, you got something to boast about. And if you're keeping yourself saved, you've got something to boast about before God. But God says, no man can boast before me. For by his doing, you are in Christ who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. God's done all of this, right? He's provided righteousness and he is providing sanctification. He's provided redemption so that just as it is written, let him who boasts do what? We boast in God. That's what we do here. I'm never going to boast in you. 
I'm never going to boast in me. I'm going to boast in God. That's what we do here. We boast in God. Why am I saved? Because God is a Savior. That's why. There's no other reason. There is no other reason. It wasn't because I, you know, I was a good man and I went to church and I figured it out. I hadn't figured out anything. Until God called me out of the tomb. I was laying in there with Lazarus. You just got to do the math here. <laughs> if being saved is up to you, then you have something to boast about. If staying saved is up to you, you have something to boast about. But again, back to 1 Corinthians 1. But it was by His doing that we are in Christ. I heard Paul Washer one time say, God saved you from Himself, for Himself, by Himself. Beloved, this is why true Christians, this is why you can kill them and they will still be praising God. Now, if you have some superficial pseudo-Christ that, you know, you prayed some goofy prayer and you're trusting in that, you know, you can't stand when the persecution comes. But when you know Jude 24 is true, you can stand, right? Hey, I'm about to stand before my maker blameless with great joy. <laughs> Go ahead, do your worst. Do your worst. Man, this is so freeing. It's so powerful. To get, to get soteriology, to get the theology of salvation right, because when you get it right, you are absolutely free. To be a radical Christian, you are free. Jesus is our hope. The true believer's hope is always and only in Christ. It's not our denominational ways and works, but it's God's sovereign way in works. You know, you listen to some of these guys, you read some of their books, and it's like, you know, you can lose your conversion just like you can lose your keys. And again, I, I think, I think this, this is blasphemous before God, and I, I, I think this is touching the glory of God. Can we get it straight? Salvation is not ultimately about what you did. It's about what Yahweh did. Can we get that straight? You thought you found him, <laughs> but you were found by him. You thought you came to love him, but you learned that from eternity past, he has loved you. You know, it's like he told Jeremiah, right? Jeremiah chapter 1. In the womb, I loved you. Before the womb. Jude 24, along with a multiplicity of other verses in the Bible, reveals that the true believer is forever saved because God did all of the saving. <laughs> and all of this goes back to Ephesians 1. All of this is to the praise of the glory of His grace. Why anything? Why everything? For the praise of the glory of the grace of God. That's the answer. That's the biblical answer. Why anything? Why everything? For the praise of the glory of the grace of God. And when you get there, if you're a Christian this morning, if you're born again, when you get there, you're going to understand that text. 
as fully as it can be understood. And you will stand blameless before a holy God with great joy. Real Christians cannot fail to persevere because God cannot fail to persevere. <laughs> our salvation and our security is in His hand. Again, to argue otherwise is a backhanded slap at God's Bible, His Word, His authority. You know, I, I remember... Back in 2004, I preached all the way through John, 72, 72 sermons, I think. And one of the things I went away with in the Gospel of John, ten times in the Gospel of John, Jesus calls the true believer a gift from God. Ten times. Five times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says he will never lose any of those who have been given to him. Do you see what an insult it is to say you can lose your salvation? Do you see what an insult you, you, this is? God says, I did it, and the Son says, I'll hold it. Do you see what an insult this is? Do you see what blasphemy this is? And it obviously contradicts what we see here in Jude 24. Do you think the Son is going to lose a love gift from the Father. Do you think that could possibly happen? You guys remember John 10, 26 through 30. Don't turn there. Let me just read it to you. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Now, a lot of people get tense when God talks like this. He didn't say you are not my sheep because you do not believe. He says you do not believe because you are not mine. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them. You know, how, how, how can you have eternal life? How can you be born again and then unborn again? How can you possess eternal life and then not possess eternal life? I mean, there's so many logical problems here with this kind of false teaching. I give them eternal, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given, given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So do you hear this positive and encouraging message? If you are in Christ, you will never not be in Christ. The question is, are you in Christ? And if you're not sure, come talk to me. Talk to Brad. Talk to Joe. Talk to a fellow Christian. Go read 1 John. You'll find out real quick if this is going on in your life or not. 1 John. 1 John, the great book of assurance. We were Zooming yesterday and through Piper's book, Providence, we got some folks over in Europe. And Karen read a line from the book. And I know this is going to ruffle some of your feathers, probably. Um, before you believed you belonged. I love what... I really love my wife. I tell her she's a theologian. She says, no, I'm not a theologian. I said, Karen, you know more theology than 98% of the people who have ever walked this planet. Right? She knows her Bible. She knows her Bible. She said, that is wild to me. That's wild to me. Yeah, Jude 24 is wild to me. 
I'm not going to critique God about aspects of his, the way he saves his people that maybe I don't fully grasp or understand yet. I'm not going to critique God. I'm just going to prostrate myself before God and be thankful and anticipate the great joy that I will experience when I stand blameless before him. You guys know Romans 8, 29 and 30. For those who God foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Now that's positive and encouraging. I'm going to call Caleb. <laughs> See if they'll play this, you know. We're not going to talk about blessings, you know, temporal blessings. We're going to talk about eternal realities. That's really positive, and that's really encouraging for the true believer. I am saved by God because I am saved by God. I don't know what else to say. If you are saved this morning, you've been saved by God, and God will hold you. He has made that promise. He will hold you. I confess that I was listening to MacArthur yesterday, and... Uh, I love what he says about this. I've shared it with you before, but he says, man, if you could lose your salvation, you would lose it multiple times in the first 60 seconds. That's how sinful we are. And then he, he said something I'd never thought of before. He said, he said, you know, um, of course you can't hold on to your salvation. Adam, who did not have a sin nature, couldn't hold on to it. You couldn't hang on to it for 15 minutes. And then this greatest preacher, maybe the greatest preacher in the last 50 years, maybe. There's probably a couple that could vie for that, that title. Listen to what he says. Greatest preacher in the last 50, last 50 years. He says, I am so prone to sin, prone to pride, prone to unbelief, prone to doubt, prone to rebellion, prone to vanity, prone to self-righteousness, prone to love, uh, to love the comforts of this world too much. He says, the Romans 7 battle rages within my members, but Jude 24, what? It's true, and he's able. He's able. And... Uh, you know, these last two verses, these, these are doxology. It's just meaning a, a word of praise. You know, you get your theology right. You really, you really could envision praising God for a billion eternities. I mean, um, yeah, if you get your theology right. You know, here's the thing. If you think you did it, it's small to you. It's small to you. It's meaningless to you on a daily basis if you think you did it. But if you know God did it, that changes everything. It changes everything. If you know God did it. And it can never be lost because God did it. It will change the way you live. It absolutely will change the way that you live. Yeah, biblical theology drives you to doxology. A word of praise at every turn, right? So, if Jude could call into Caleb, 
I think he would say something like, My awesome creator, redeemer God has saved me and he will forever keep me saved. I cannot ultimately stumble because he holds me. I will stand blameless before this holy God for this is his sovereign purpose. And he will make me stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. And this is a, a great promise of God to his children. Because we know, we know what Yahweh will say to those who are not his children. I looked it up yesterday, Jeremiah 13, 14. God says, I will show no pity, nor will I be sorry. I will not have any compassion that I should not destroy you. Now, listen, I know that much of the modern church, we've got God dumbed down to such a degree that he's like a, a kindly old grandfather who kind of winks at all sin. That's not Yahweh. Yahweh hates sin. Yahweh will judge sin. Hell exists. And he will throw those in rebellion against him into hell. He will do it. He says he will do it. You will see it. I will see it. He is a terrifyingly magnificent, holy God. And there's this whole lack of reverential awe in much of the modern church. It's just unbelievable. It's embarrassing. It's just embarrassing. Jude 1, we are the called, we are the beloved, we are the kept. Of course, this gives rise to doxology. Jude 25, to this awesome God, our Savior and Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. And just a few quick comments on verse 25, um, where God says, I'm God and you're not. I'm God and nobody else is. I love it when he talks like this. <laughs> There's so many men out there, you know, even, pastor, even pastors, people in church, you know, they think they're on par with God. I'm going to reason with God. No, no, you're not going to reason with God. Now, if you're in his son, you've got that relationship. But if you're outside of Christ, you're not going to reason with God. You're not going to stand before God and give an account. Your knees will turn to water before Yahweh. But just to expound a little bit on what the Bible says, verse, to complement verse 25, Daniel 4.35, God does according to his will in heaven and earth, and no one can stay his hand. He's going to hold you, and nobody can prevent that. 1 Timothy 6.15 and 16, he is the only sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords who alone possesses immortality and eternal dominion. I looked up the word dominion because I don't think it's often used in common vernacular. It means power, authority, control, and domination. Yahweh dominates His cosmos. And His purposes cannot be thwarted. 1 Chronicles 29, 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth. Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Psalm 135, 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, you tell me, you know this. Whatever the Lord pleases, what? He does it. 
He doesn't care if you're critiquing him or not. He doesn't care what they're saying on CNN. He doesn't care. It pleases him to keep me from stumbling. Now, this will make you get on your face for a little while if you take it on board. It pleases him to make me stand in the presence of pristine holiness. It pleases him that I might be blameless with infinite, before infinite holiness with great joy. It pleases God. You think I give five cents for being a Baptist? I don't care anything about being a Baptist. Okay, it's got some history. That's great. You know, we, we, we believe some good things and, and some churches have sprung up. That's great. But that's not what, that's not my great joy. My great joy is I've been called, I've been loved, and I've been kept. That's my joy, right? That's what makes my heart beat fast. Isaiah says, who can turn back the outstretched arm of the Lord? Isaiah 14, 27. Hey, I know you got big problems. We all have big problems. We all have big problems, don't we? But guess what? Your God has absolute dominion over your big problem. Your big problem's been handled. You know, your biggest problem, the fact that you have uh, offended a holy God, that problem's been resolved. All other problems pale in comparison. On the other side of eternity, it's not going to matter that you had a lot of money in the bank. On the other side of eternity, that's not going to matter. It's not going to matter whether you died at 25 with cancer or you died at 85 of old age. That's not going to matter. On the far side of eternity, none of that matters. Your big problem's been handled. It's been handled. So, yes, it is this sovereign God who has called us. It is this invincible God who has loved us. It's this almighty God who has saved us. It's this indomitable God who is sanctifying us. And it is this omnipotent God who is holding us. If we get our soteriology right, if we get our theology about salvation right, doxology will happen. Doxology will never stop happening. And we won't have time to fight about stupid stuff in here. We won't have time. We're too busy rejoicing in June 24. Now, if you want to fight about stuff, you're going to have to go somewhere else. We don't want to fight about it. We don't want to have a bad attitude in the church. Biblical theology always gives rise to doxology. And here's the thing. If I were going to call into Caleb and give a testimony or a word of praise to the Lord, it would be this. Now to him who is able to keep me from stumbling and to make me stand in the presence of his holy, pardon me, his glory, glorious blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time, now, and forevermore. Who knows, maybe you'll hear me on Caleb soon. Let's pray together.